the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It'll be given to him. God promises, I'll give you wisdom, just ask. But then there's a caution in verse 6, but let him ask in faith and with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. Have you asked God for wisdom? Can it really be that easy? As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, when you ask in faith, God will give you the wisdom you seek. But be warned that His methods for providing it may not always be easy. He may allow you to go through some situations that require hard decisions in order to test whether you are relying on your own metal or trusting in Him to guide you, which is absolutely necessary for anyone who wants to have godly wisdom. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James, chapter 3, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It is an awesome responsibility, and it should be a sobering thing to realize what we're entrusted with, the right dividing of the Word of God. And so he says in verse 1, not many people should want to be teachers. You're going to be judged more strictly. We'll be condemned for the mishandling of Scripture or the misspeaking of doctrine because it is a serious thing to misrepresent God and His Word. Now, that isn't to say that sometimes every teacher will you know, just accidentally say something that they didn't really intend. You know, there's been, there's been a few things, listen, in 30 years of ministry, I've said a few things like, I don't remember saying that. Did I say that? That was a mistake. It wasn't intentional. Like, I'll just give you an example. So back at Christmas, um, and, you know, we were doing multiple Christmas services, so somewhere halfway through, like, our seven services, I was a little brain dead, okay? Not, you know, I'm just saying. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying, all right? 
little oxygen deprived. And so in the middle of one of the services, when I get up to make announcements, I'm welcoming new people. Because a lot of times people only come to church at Christmas and Easter. So I'm like carefully wanting to make sure that people feel welcome. Like, hey, if you're here for the first time, this is your, 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 your first time here worshiping with us at Cornerstone. We're glad that you're here. And here's our regular service schedule. We hope that you'll come back and worship us. And I didn't even know I said that. And, and the video guys are like, did you know after that service, you, you said to the people, we hope you'll come back and worship us? I said, no. I said, I hope you'll come back and worship with us. They said, no, you left out the word with. I said, no. They got out the videotape. It didn't lie. I said, why don't you all come back and worship us? Worship us. What do you think all the new people are thinking? What kind of church is this? We, we go to Cornerstone, we worship each other. We, we worship that guy up there. What kind of church is it? It's a cult. It's a cult. Because I, I missed one word. One word can make a big difference between would you come back and worship with us and would you come back and worship us? That can make a big difference. And I couldn't go back and correct it because I didn't know I'd said that. But anyway, people can make some mistakes. People can say some things. They're like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't really mean to say that. But the idea here b- behind verse 1 of chapter 3 is the mishandling of Scripture or doctrine as a regular failure. It invites God's judgment. So potential for our words to condemn us in a teaching role when we mishandle uh, God's word or we misappropriate doctrine or somehow we misrepresent God. It's a, it's a sacred thing, it, and, and we need to take it seriously. So our words can condemn us. Number two on the list there, our words also have the potential to control. James says here, that if you can control your tongue, if you can control what you say, you can control the rest of your body. It's an interesting principle. Look again at verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. Okay, nobody's perfect. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. I mean, if you've never said anything that you regretted, you're perfect. Okay, but that's not true because all of us have said things that we regretted. So, We should strive for maturity. We should work to be like Jesus. But all of us have stumbled in saying something. But if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Notice that. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue. So in other words, in these verses, he's, he's saying a little thing like, for example, a bit controls a horse. And a little thing like a rudder, he says there in verse 4, controls a ship. He says a little thing like the tongue can control your whole body. In other words, what he says to us, if you can get your mouth in check, you can gain control over other areas of your life as well. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that, but for some of you who, you know, want to be more disciplined in certain areas of your life, maybe it's discipline over food or discipline over um, maybe just um, sinful habits. Uh, Maybe you want to be more disciplined over uh, your time. How about starting with the discipline of controlling your tongue? Because it's interesting that what James says here is, by way of principle, if we can reign in our tongue, if we can start there by controlling better what we say, how we say it, when we say it, 
it actually helps us to control the rest of what we struggle with in our bodies as well. It begins with our tongue. Proverbs 13.3 says, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. But now notice that he also says in verse 8, if you just jump ahead to verse 8, he says, No man can tame the tongue. He says there in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue. Um, It is an unruly evil, he adds. It is full of deadly poison. So what he's telling us is that our speech is naturally going to be bent towards bad stuff, uh, evil things, and it's poisonous. So he says, we can't fix our mouth by ourselves, but God can In other words, when he's saying there in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue, what he's saying is, therefore, we need God's help. Because through God's help in in the taming of the tongue, it'll also help us to tame or control or to rein in other aspects of our lives. Uh, David understood this. David understood, man, I can't control my own speech. I need God's help, which is why he wrote in Psalm 141, verse 3, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a great verse. That's one of those verses maybe you should, you know, put it on a three-by-five card and put it on your mirror every morning when you're brushing your teeth that you're reading that. Lord, put a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. And then thirdly, James tells us here that the tongue has the potential to contaminate, to contaminate. He says in verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles, there's the idea, contaminates, the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So he tells us here, hey, the the tongue is poisonous, as if we didn't know that, right? It's a weapon. I mean, some people can wield the weapon of their tongue like nobody's business. I hope that doesn't describe you, but if it doesn't already describe you, certainly we all know somebody who can wield the tongue like a weapon. And And what he's saying here between verses 5 and 6 is just like a little spark can cause a raging forest fire, the smallest thing said can cause tremendous, terrible, even sometimes irreparable damage. Now, I want you to think about this because, again, I was being facetious at the beginning of our study. This applies to every single one of us. How many bad things said have divided friends, have hurt marriages, have ruined reputations, have destroyed careers, all kinds of things that we say regrettably have done great damage. He'll write a little bit further, jump to chapter 4. He doesn't always write um, in, in, you know, a theme within a section. He kind of sprinkles it all through. And he also writes in chapter 4, James does, in verses 11 and 12 about this very thing. Verse 11, 
Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? So he says, be careful with your speech. Don't speak evil of one another. Here's a couple of references you can write in the margin of your Bible. 1 Peter 3.10. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. And how about this one? Proverbs 4.24 says, Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. The Bible has a lot to say about speech. And then number four, And the list here, the tongue has the potential to contradict. Not a good thing, but he's just telling us so in verses 9 through 12. Verse 9, with it, with it, with our tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. In other words, what he's saying is there should not be contradiction in our speech, where, whereby we come to church, and we're singing praises, and we're worshiping God with our tongue, and then we turn around, and we're cursing out our neighbor. Or we're, or we're cursing at somebody as we're driving who cut us off. James is like, as a Christian, listen, this should not be. You shouldn't be coming to church and worshiping God with the same mouth that you're cussing out people. He said, our speech should not be duplicitous like that. We should not be contradicting in our, in our speech. We should be careful that our tongue, our speech, is used to glorify God. We need to get rid of things like sarcasm, criticism, gossip, slander, insults, lying, berating, cursing, manipulating, deceiving. I've hit myself a few times in the list. Anybody else? We ought to get rid of those things. Instead, we need to use our mouth to praise, encourage, inspire, warn, advise, teach, love, comfort, bless, affirm, you know, there's a choice there. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, I, I've had people, and in one sense this doesn't bother me, and in another sense it does, okay? Because in the one sense, I think they just don't know better. So, you know, I want to have compassion for that because I remember being a young Christian or before I was a Christian, didn't know better. But I've, I've actually had conversations with people in church where they've been talking to me and they didn't even realize they're cussing in the course of their conversation. Not at me. They're just retelling a story. And they're like, can you believe this? And the blankety-blank thing and then the blankety-blank and the blank. And I'm just standing, I'm like, are you not aware that A, we're in church, B, I'm your pastor? I mean, you know, I mean, just like, I don't say anything. I don't call them out. I'm just like, wow, you know. There's like, like zero self-awareness there. But at the same time, it makes me realize this is so common in your life, you don't even know you're doing it. This is so common, you don't even know you're doing it. And, and you know what, what I find sadly amusing 
is those very people who, who find that their common everyday vocabulary includes those words are the first parents who are astonished that their kid comes home in first grade and cusses like a sailor. They're like, I can't believe this. Where did they, where, oh my goodness, the public school system, you're going to get homeschooled. I hope not. Because they'll learn more words with you than they did in the public school system. We, we, we just sometimes, you know, I, I, we've become so accustomed to, to our words, like not being checked. That it's like, come up, with, come up with words that are actually glorifying to God. You know, it's, it's just funny to me in a sad kind of funny way. Look, sometimes undoing bad habits is, is hard. Um, but listen, get some new cuss words. I mean, get some, stop taking God's name in vain. And how about you just cuss using some false God? Stub your toe like a sweet Dalai Lama, you know, just like, (laughs) holy Buddha. I mean, just give some, use another name. Stop using God's name. Holy Buddha. That's an oxymoron right there. All right, so speech, that's the big deal that he talks about here in the first part of, of chapter 3. And, and so let's look at the last few verses from chapter 3 about wisdom. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality And without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So now James has a few things to say in this closing third chapter about wisdom, and he differentiates between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. He doesn't use the word heavenly wisdom, he talks about wisdom from above, but that's what he means wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that is from above, versus earthly wisdom that he also says is sensual and demonic, two types of wisdom here. And he, and he basically says here that earthly wisdom is when people are wise in their own eyes, and the fruit of that is envy and self-seeking. NIV says selfish ambition. And he, and he says it is sensual or unspiritual and demonic there in verse 15. So, Earthly wisdom presents as being envious, unspiritual, earthly, demonic. Envious. What's the difference between envy and jealousy? Envy is basically coveting what someone else has. Jealousy is being bitter over what someone else has. Okay? I'll say it again. Envy is coveting what someone else has. You want it. To be jealous is to be bitter that they have it. And so... He says here, there's this characteristic of earthly wisdom that presents with envy and selfish ambition or self-seeking, whereas 
heavenly wisdom or wisdom that is from above is evident in the life of an individual by fruit. There's going to be evidence here. And he he lists eight things. Uh, He says it'll be evidenced by the fact that on display in your life is that you're pure, that you're peaceable, that you're gentle, that you're willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruit, without partiality or impartial and uh, without hypocrisy or sincere. So on, on the one hand, he describes a person who thinks he is wise, that's earthly wisdom, but who is envious and self-seeking. So it, it's the idea of you know someone who is never content, they're covetous, they're always trying to get ahead at the expense of other people, they're making decisions that benefit self over others. And James says people might call that wisdom because those people, they get some results. Uh, they get ahead. Uh, but it's really, James says here, it's really earthly, sensual, and demonic because God is not just concerned about the ultimate destination that you and I try to arrive at. God is also concerned about the journey. He's concerned about how you lived, how you achieved, how you related to people along the way is more important to God than just getting there. Isaiah 5, verse 21, Isaiah says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. People can be clever and people can be manipulative and deceptive and inch their way towards success. And people will marvel at their, quote, wisdom when they see the end result. But God is not impressed. It is not wisdom at all, James says. He says it's unspiritual, it's demonic. And he says, and where you have that sort of wisdom, you have confusion and you have every evil thing in verse 16. But he says, on the other hand, he says, then there's, there's wisdom from above and that we should exercise wisdom from above. And it will manifest itself in those eight ways. Look at the list again. It manifests itself in eight ways. Verse 17, pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. Some translations say submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So stop and ask yourself, do these things mark my life? If they do, you're probably walking in the wisdom from above. If they don't, then where are you getting your wisdom from? In Proverbs 4, verse 7, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Now, at this point, you're thinking, well, how do I get that kind of wisdom? And the answer is back in James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 1. He's going to tell us in verse 5. How do you get this wisdom from above? And all of us, I'm going to ask this question, you don't need to raise your hand, but every single one of us should raise our hand. How many of you could use a little more wisdom from above, right? And so James tells us in James 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It'll be given to him. God promises, I'll give you wisdom, just ask. But then there's a caution in verse 6, but let him ask in faith and with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. 
And so no better way to close our service than to pray for wisdom and then to believe in response to God's word that he will give you the wisdom that you need. Following Jesus isn't a one-time decision. It's a daily choice to put your desires aside and seek your Savior for His opinion. It's determining that your actions are going to reflect what you believe today. It's every morning giving your heart back to God because it can't be about you. The book of James is helpful in that it gives you practical advice on how to do this every day how to be the hands and feet of Jesus to everyone you meet. We're so glad you took time today to study this New Testament letter with us. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to connect with Scripture whenever and wherever you are. How can we be lifting you up in prayer during this study? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. We'd love to have you come join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find all the information you need on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know